We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Let's bow our heads as we go in this. We are going to be reading lots and lots of scripture today. So if you want to take notes, I have them marked in my Bible so I can get there quickly. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and, and look at this subject that you challenged the Jews with and you're even a challenge today with. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you that which is not lawful on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answered them and said, Have you not read so much after as this when David, what David did when he himself was hungry and he went and they with him and he when he went into the house of God and did take and eat of the showbread and gave also to them that were with him which was not lawful to eat but for the priest alone and he said unto them that that the son of man is lord also of the sabbath and it came to pass also on another sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught and there was a man whose right hand was withered and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. And when he knew their thoughts, he said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stretch forth your hand. And he rose and stood. Then Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking around upon them all, he said unto them, Stretch forth your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another that what they might do to Jesus. This is kind of an interesting scenario in the, in the scriptures of Jesus doing things on the Sabbath. And we're going to look at the, a little bit about the laws of the Sabbath so you know where all of this stage came from. But if you've been a Christian very long, you're going to have met somebody somewhere who has a big problem with Sabbath that you can't work on Sabbath. And I'm going to give you what the Bible says about that, and you can figure out what you want to believe on it. You know, it's, some people are going to bind themselves under the laws, and it's very clear that God says don't do any work on Sabbath. But that's the case, you're going to have to say you're not working on Saturday, because Saturday is the Sabbath. Right? Sunday is the first day of the week. So we want to be able to explain that to us as we go along. But this is an issue. There are all kinds of people out there that are very, very, very strict about the Sabbath. Now, it's kind of funny because they're not as strict about coveting. They're not as strict about using God's name in vain. They're not as strict. And they'll point out that we're not, you know, we're not, we're not paying attention to those things, you know. You know but they're, they're doing just what, you know, what we're getting ready to do. They're, you know, that we say that God has already paid for this. Jesus died for all of the law. And you're going to have to make your decision. This is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're going to read the Bible and have to decide, is this something that I am going to pay attention, have to be bound by? And when we get in this, I'm going to give you the history of where it was when Jesus was there. We'll talk a little bit about the craziness of their, <laughs> of their rules. Uh, and we'll, we'll work on that. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. And if anybody knows, that is where the Ten Commandments were given. And we're going to start. This is one of the longest of the commandments that God gives us. Exodus 20, starting at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But in the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor any stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that was in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. This is also found in Deuteronomy 5. If you don't know this, it's, uh, that's where the commandments are also given. So why did God give us a day of rest? You know, it's kind of an interesting thing because this tells us six days God created the heavens and earth and then he rested. Now, I kind of find this interesting, you know, because a lot of people think, you know, well, this is kind of interesting. Did God tire himself out in six days and have to rest on the seventh day? No, he's all powerful. He, he didn't do that. He did it for us. He knew that we would need a day of rest. All right. And it's kind of interesting if you look at science and everything, they tell us that we need, they use the word margin, we need to rest. And I was a workaholic and still have tendencies toward workaholism. When I was younger, I worked one time for 10 months straight without a single day off, 12, 16 hours days. And, you know, I was a pretty big grump by the time I got to the end of this. And I, I had a system manager who made me take a day off. Right? Because we need time off. No matter how much we like what we're doing, we need time off, and God created a day for us to take off. All right? So there is a good, good process in there. It's very important for us to take that time off and look at the need of the time off. In Exodus 35, excuse me, 31, Exodus 31, starting at verse 13. God says, Thus speak, thus shall you also say to the children of Israel, saying, My Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath therein, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. Whosoever does any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from my people. Six days may you work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. Holy is it to the Lord, whosoever doeth work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. God sounds a little strict about the Sabbath day. <laughs> All right. Now, there was a very key word in this whole sentence, and I read it right off from the very beginning. He goes, this is a sign for you and God. Who is he talking to? The Jews. The Jewish people, this is a very serious day. This was one of the things that marked them. This was the obvious thing that marked them. The other thing that marked them was for the males were circumcised, which wasn't very obvious because they didn't walk around showing that part of their body. So they, were, they saw that they were taking one day off a week. Now you go, well, what's the big deal with taking one day off a week? Because we get two days off a week in our country. In some countries, you get three days off a week you know, because time off has become a big deal. Well, back in the dark ages and all the way before, when everybody lived on the farms, you worked seven days a week. The Jewish people were considered lazy because they took a vacation one day a week. And everybody looked at them and said, these are the laziest people there are out there. They, they can't even work all seven days. Why? Because God had given them a sign. They were to take a day off. Every week they were to take a day off and not do anything. 
How serious was this? In Numbers chapter 15, looking at verse 32 in Numbers 15. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that was gathering sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathered, gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and to Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in the ward because, they did, because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man that shall surely be put to death, all the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. This event, God said, I've told you what to do. I expect you to be done. Now this was also a time when God had told the children of Israel, here are the commandments that I want you to do. If you follow them, you're going to be blessed. If you don't follow them, you will be cursed. Pretty serious way to walk. So if you want to bind yourself under this, remember you're binding yourself under the curse for disobedience. Now let's give you an idea. By the time that Jesus was walking, and even today, they had broken up this commandment on what constituted work into 39 subcategories. All right? 39. And I'm not going to give you all the subcategories, but they included things like you were not able to start a fire or put out a fire. All right, that was very clear. That was actually biblical. God said you cannot start a fire. You're not to. Put, he didn't say anything about putting it out, but you were not to start a fire. All right, which means, of course, you can't cook. All right, uh, you were not allowed to write because you were creating something. They considered that work, so you could not get a piece of paper out and scribble on the piece of paper a note because that was work. All right. You could not sort your beans or your fruit. You know, if you had a bad piece of fruit in there, you weren't allowed to pick out the bad piece of fruit out of your fruit on the Sabbath day because they considered that work. This was all these things. Now notice the only verse that I told you said, you shall not work, you shall not start, you know, shall not start start a fire for cooking, and nobody in your in your family will do cooking. So these guys decided we gotta define what work is. Now, you might think this is really silly, but they said you couldn't spit on the Sabbath day because the spit might make a, a, a line on the ground and you were furrowing the ground. All right? Uh, you cannot turn a light switch on on the Sabbath day because you're making electricity work. Now, you could have the light on when the Sabbath started, but you could not turn it on or off. They couldn't light a lantern. They couldn't do anything because that would be starting a fire. Ladies, you couldn't even sew on the, on the Sabbath day. You couldn't tie knots and crochet on the Sabbath day. Okay? You couldn't comb your hair or apply makeup on the Sabbath day because you were painting things, you know, painting your face or straightening, straightening out rows on your hair. You know, this is how strict they had gotten. And we saw that when Jesus is walking through the fields and the, the disciples grabbed, they say corn, but it was most likely wheat or barley, rubbed it in their hands to get the shells off and ate it. And the Pharisees are up, you know, you just harvested food on the, on the Sabbath day. This is how strict they had gotten. And this is the problem I have with most of the people who really want to get excited about the Sabbath day. They don't keep the Sabbath day even close to what the Jews kept it as. They will drive a long ways to get to church on, the Sab on, on Saturday so they can worship on Saturday. And by the Jewish definition, you could go about a thousand feet on Sabbath in one way. You know, one direction. And that was all you could go. You went a thousand feet and you had to stop and stay there for the rest of the Sabbath day. 
So actually, you only went 500 feet and came back. So you know, this is the stuff that is going to be, if you're going to bind yourself under the law, then you need to be ready to bind yourself under the law. Jesus came so that we would not be bound under the law. And we'll give you the scriptures in just a moment for this, but I want to give you the, the whole idea of what was going on when this, when this was happening. When Jesus, when his disciples were walking through the field, he goes, do you know what David did when he, when he ate the showbread? Now, I'm sure that everybody in here doesn't, uh, probably remembers what the showbread is, but we're going to go in there. It's in 1 Samuel. It's going to be in chapter 21. But let's give you what the showbread is. The showbread was in the holy place on the altar, on the altar of incense. They would place 12 uh, loaves of unleavened bread. They would cover it with frankincense and oil. And it sat there and it represented the people of Israel being dedicated to God. It would stay in the temple, the, the holy place for a week. They would replace it, and the, the priests were the only ones allowed to eat that bread. So this is what David is, what Jesus is saying. Don't you remember what David did? All right. David ate the showbread, which was unlawful. It was not permitted, and David wasn't struck dead. All right, is what Jesus is saying. So in second, uh, 1 Samuel 21, starting at verse 2, And David said unto Abimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me on business, and hath said unto me, let no man know the thing that, of the business whereupon I sent you, and I have commanded you. And I have appointed your servants as, to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is in your hand? Give me five loaves of bread for in, your, in my hand, or what is there present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread in my hand, but there is the hallowed bread, or so bread. And there is... If your young men have kept themselves at least from women, and David says to the priests and to them, of the truth, women have been kept from us for about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread in the manner is in a manner common. Yea, though they were sanctified this day in the vessel. So David was given the showbread. You know, this is a very interesting thing, because even in the Old Testament we see God's grace and his mercy over and over again. David and his men were hungry. And if you know the story, David's running from Saul and he lied, you know, he lied to the priest and it's going to have consequences because the priest is going to be executed by King Saul for helping David and all he did was take David's lie at face value. Uh, but he gave to David a gift that was something that was not allowed to the, to the common people. All right? And this is something that Jesus is saying. He goes, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Master of the Sabbath. And then he made that other statement there that we read that he said, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is a very important distinction. God gives us the Sabbath day so that we can rest and we can be relaxed. And this is a whole, and you're going to have to decide what it means to you to rest. Obviously, for me, for most people, Sunday is their day of rest for Christians. It's not a day of rest for me. I work very hard on Sunday. Uh, most pastors end up taking Monday off as their, day, as their day off because they are so busy that I'm bivocational, so I don't get a day off. <laughs> and it's not good. You know, 
And I've had pastors, you know, tell me, well, I'm going to go work in my garden because it's my day off. You know why God created the day of Sabbath is so that we can stop work and pay attention to him. In the, in the class that we have done, the Truth Project, I love the way that uh, Dale Tackett said it. God gave us the Sabbath so that we would quit playing one day a week and focus on him. And, you know, it really is true. I don't know how many of you have been in, in a place like I've been in it several times where I loved my job so much, it really didn't feel like work. You know, a lot of times I was working really hard and it just, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun to get things done. It was not, it was not stressful. It was not hard. And God said, I want you to stop one day a week and focus on me. Quit going out having fun. Quit going out and working, whatever it might be, and focus on me. Uh, I grew up a lot of my life in the South, and when the South had the blue laws, you didn't do anything on Sundays, literally. The only thing that was open on Sunday was the hospital. The fire department had volunteers on call, and the police department pretty much shut down back then. They were still on call, but you know they didn't patrol, they didn't do all these other things. Everything was shut down. You did not do anything. You went to church, you had family dinner, and you might go to church that afternoon, that evening. That was all that you did on Sunday. You focused on God. And really so strict in many families, they didn't, wouldn't turn on the TV or the radio on Sunday because it was the day to focus on God. And again, if you're going to be strict with the Sabbath day, whatever your Sabbath day is going to be, then you need to take that day and focus on God and make sure that you're following the right thing. Um, and I'm not going to tell you not to do this, but I'm going to tell you, you know, if you're going to do it, there's certain things you're binding yourself under. Now, I think it was a good thing that we rested on Sundays, you know, rather than what all the stuff that we do nowadays on Sunday. You know, most of our time, you know, most of us say, well, I'm, Sunday's my day with God. I gave him my hour in the morning when I went to church from 10 to, to 11 to 12 and quickly forgot about him, went, went and watched football, baseball, basketball, hockey, uh, NASCAR, whatever it is you do, you know, whatever sport you're watching, you know, yeah, we had, had a big family argument that day as dinner was being prepared, you know, we really focused on God. That's not quite, if you're going to say you're practicing the Sabbath, you need to be focusing on God during that day that you're focusing, that you're practicing with. And this is very, very important. Where did the idea of Sabbath come from? Was from God in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 3, where it said God rested from all that he had done. And again, it's not because God was just so exhausted. He had just created the entire universe and the whole world and all the animals. And he was just so tired he had to take a day off. That's not why he did it. He did it as an example. You know, we have reasons for just about everything. We have a, a year. How, how long the earth takes to go around the sun? One year, 365 day, 365.25 days to go around the sun. All right. We, so we know that we know we're a year from a month because the moon going around the, going around the earth with its phases. You know, but why do we have a week? Well, there's really no reason to have a seven-day week, other than God rested. But you know, every country has a seven-day week. Every, every nation has a seven-day week because it goes all the way back to creation. It is why we have all of this. So we go, why are we there? And when Jesus went the second time, the man, to be healed, Jesus asked a very simple question. 
Is it permissible to do good on the Sabbath? Now this is a very interesting question because the Bible is silent on this. If you were to truly go the way the Bible said, you were not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath at all. Jesus was not quite going that way. He was agreeing with the rabbis. The rabbis had said it was permissible to save somebody's life on the, on the Sabbath. If somebody was dying and you could actually do a surgery or something and save their life, the, 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 the rabbis had said it was okay. Your animal fell into a ditch on the Sabbath. They, they had taught you that it was okay to help that animal, which is bearing a burden, get it out of the ditch and get it back on its feet. They had no problem with that. But when it came to a man with a withered hand, they're looking at Jesus and saying, are you going to dare heal that man on the Sabbath? And their attitude was, Jesus, you could have healed him any day. For six days, you could have healed him. Why are you doing it on the Sabbath? And again, he's saying, it is to show you that I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am above the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you for men, not for to be a binding up of man. Now, this is a problem because anytime you start putting a little hole in a law, you know, our old adage, give an inch and they'll take a mile, and that's exactly what ends up happening. We've seen it even in our country. It used to be Sunday was a day of rest, and then they started adding, all right, we can have gas stations open, we can have the sports going on, we can have this going on, we can have that going on, and now... We look at Sunday being exactly the same as every other day of the week. And nobody has a day of rest. And it's kind of an amazing thing. In our day, we have weekends in America. You have Friday night till, till Monday morning. And what do we do? We fill them so full that we're not resting at all, at, at all on our days off. Now, I've actually talked to people who said, well, I needed to come back to work on Monday so that I could finally get some rest. You know, uh, and we want to be very careful of that. We need a point where we are able to stop and just rest. So the question that we have on this, the law very clearly says that there's a Sabbath. It very clearly says that we're supposed to rest. So the question is, why don't we follow the Sabbath in this day and age? So we're going to look at some of the New Testament verses and look at what they say. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6. Starting at verse 14, Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to, to whom you obey, whether to unto death or uh, sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we are, cert, are not, that we were servants of the sin, but we have obeyed from the heart that which is of the doctrine which was delivered into you, being made free from sin, we became the servants of righteousness. So why are we not under the law? Because law produces death. All right. What was the purpose of God's law? Was God's law bad because people couldn't keep it? No. It reveals that we are sinners. There is no way that we can even keep this, the Ten Commandments, much less the, the, the Jews have identified 613 laws. All right, We can't keep the Ten Commandments. There's no way we're going to be able to keep the 613 because they include the Ten Commandments. 
right? How many of us use God's name in vain? Now we think, well, no, I, I don't cuss God. I don't, I don't, I never, I never use God's name in vain. How many of you have had a bad situation and said, oh my God, and you weren't praying to God? I hear it all the time. I hear it from Christians all the time. They're not praying to God. They're not asking for God's help. They are using his name empty, lightly. Not calling down a curse, but they are using it empty and lightning, lightly. They are using his, call, using his name. How many of us have had another God before God? I've had it. I've had work. Work became a God to me. How many people have family become God to them? Family activities, maybe. A hobby. Might be sports. Let's hit real close to home. How many of you have TV as your God? You've set up your living room that everything faces toward that idol up front that has a blue screen on it that flashes all kinds of colors and, and noise, and you spend six, seven, eight hours a day in front of it doing nothing else. Is, a little, is TV necessarily bad? No, but if you're spending too much time there, then it's become more important than God. <laughs> there are some of us who don't watch much TV. Some hardly at all. Some people put it away. You know, and that's probably a good thing. So we look at this. You know, you've got a person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. We have the, 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 one, the one law that we always kind of, kind of forget a bit about. The last one, thou shalt not covet. How many of us want things that aren't ours? That's coveting. You know, we all fall into that one. Even if you think of, even if you think you've kept the other nine with, with perfection, you're gonna you're gonna have something that you wanted that wasn't yours, that was coveting. You know, we have that all the time, and we have an entire industry to help us get that way, called advertising. Tell us and get us to want things that aren't ours, so that we that we would desire them. So we have this problem that the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law comes from God's character. God does not murder. He does not lie. He does not steal. He does not desire things that he doesn't own. He does not. All of the laws come from his character. There's nothing wrong with the law. It just shows us that we can't keep it. Adam and Eve fell from perfection by their sin, and that sin has been passed on to everybody, and we are born in sin. The law just proves that we are. And you can use this as... There, we use this all the time when we're talking about to people about Jesus. Well, you, you know, you need Jesus. Well, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. Oh, well, let's see how good you are. Now, have you ever told a lie? And anybody who says they've never told a lie is lying. You know, they're lying to you at that moment because they've told a lie. You know, uh, you know how many people have coveted? How many people have stolen? Almost the most, everybody has taken something that didn't belong to them at some point in their life. How many people have coveted? Everybody. <laughs> so we know that everybody, and God says his standard is perfection. If we're not perfect, we are not good enough to go into heaven without Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. 
But when the fullness of time was come, Jesus sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them which were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit and the Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant, but a son, and if a son there, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit, when you knew not God, you did, service, you did service to them which were by nature are not gods. We became Christians. We became children of God and heirs of God. Before we were his, we were bound by the laws and the rules. But you know, because we are his, we're not bound by those same rules. We are now serving those rules because we love him. We are becoming like him. And the more I become like him, the more I be obedient to the laws which are part of him. It's kind of an interesting thing. We as Christians, as we draw closer to God, we become more perfect to the law. Not because I am sitting there saying, beating myself up with a whip and a chain and a belt and everything, saying, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be good. But because I'm drawing so close to the Father that I'm becoming more like the Father. And because the laws are part of Him, I start being obedient to the law. And this is so important. Being obedient to the law is not, as a Christian, is not me trying to do all the right things. Romans 12, 1 and 2 say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So we give him our bodies, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. We change the way we think. We change the way we act by becoming and thinking more like him. How do we transform our mind, which is the word metamorphosis? All right. It's a picture of the caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out as a butterfly. Now, if you know the science behind that, it comes in with one DNA structure and comes out with a totally different DNA structure. It is a completely new creature. The word used in Romans 12.2 is that we are transformed. We are metamorphosed or metamorphosed into a new, totally different being. We come in with the wrong way of thinking, the wrong way of acting, and he says, now, here you are, totally new. And this is the beautiful part of this as we go forward in here. Uh, in Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, Zealous, zealous to good works. Why are we able to be obedient? Is because God redeems us. This is the beauty of salvation. We as sinners have no choice to, but to sin. We're going to sin. You know, it's an amazing thing. 
If you've ever had a young child, you know, how, how selfish is a baby? Now, we look at that, you know, we always think of babies are very nice, they're innocent, they're wonderful, until they're hungry, wet diaper, you get hurt a little bit, and they scream for attention. And scream for attention and scream for attention. Why? Because they're what's all that's important. Now, we don't really like to think of that, but that is the sin nature. The me first sin nature. Now, eventually they grow up. They get to be two-year-olds. <laughs> and they get really selfish at two years old. And then eventually, around three or four, four-ish, they start learning to be less selfish if we've done a good job teaching them. And from that point on, they become like the rest of us, being able to try to hide our sins from other people. Now, and we usually can do a fair job at hiding our sin. But God says we cannot have victory over sin until we know him. Until we are redeemed by him and have the Holy Spirit living in us, then we can start to have victory over sin. We will never be 100% victorious over sin in this lifetime. If we could, we'd go straight to heaven because we'd be perfect at that point. We won't be. All of us struggle. Paul said, you know, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I understand that statement very well. All the times I want to do good, I find that sin is there trying to drag me down and I find myself doing sins that I don't want to do and wondering how I got in that place. And if you're all honest, you're in the same exact boat. And this is the very important for us. We are redeemed. This is why we can have victory. Because of what God has done for us. We need this, this idea of are we going to be bound under law? And if you're going to bound yourself under law, then you have to obey all the laws. All of them. Or are you going to be bound under the liberty of grace? Now grace, is, as we said in, in Romans 6, was not a license to sin. God said, you know, the God, Paul understood that people were going to say, well, if I'm forgiven of all my sins, that just means I can go out and sin all I want. And Paul says, no, God forbid that you would think that way. You know, and this is the accusation that we get, especially as Baptists, because we believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, and you can't lose your salvation, and that is true. So we are accused, well, that means I can just get saved and live like hell. And my answer is, if you can live like hell and not be convicted of the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. You've got a bigger problem because you're not saved in the first place. You might have said the words, you might have, you might have you know, done the right things, but if you don't have a change of your heart, then you're not saved. So we come down to this, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For we are saved by grace, not of works, lest any you know, for by grace are you saved. We are in grace. So when you meet these people who want to make a great big deal out of the Sabbath day, that is fine. If you're convicted, you have to keep the Sabbath day fine. I'm not going to judge you. You don't judge me and we'll be okay. All right. And this is the whole process involved. We are told that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Every one of us have things that we cannot do because we look at the Bible and say, There's, I cannot do this. Now, there are certain things that you cannot do. 
you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit a fornication. You know, there's a whole bunch of you shall nots. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that are in a very non-black and white area. All right? And we can think of all kinds of ones, and I don't want to name off because I don't want to insult anybody who may have a problem with, with or, or without. But there are all kinds of areas where we look at somebody and say, well, you know, God told me I couldn't do that. Why can you? But you know what? If you're doing that to somebody, they're looking at you and saying, wow, God told me I can't do that. Why are you allowed to do that? Now, Paul, when he was talking about the Corinthians, we'll pick on this one because it's not a big problem anymore. He told the Corinthians, you know, some of you can go to the temple and buy meat offered to the idols. Some of you can't. Now, there was no reason why you couldn't go to the idol, you know, the, the, to the God, not, not to the not to the temple in Jerusalem, but he's talking about the temple of Zeus or Diane or any of these temples to the non-gods, you know, the ones that aren't gods, but everybody thought were gods, because they offered their best food there. It was the best place you could get meat. You know, it was fresh meat every day. It, was the be- you know, it wasn't the sickly animals. It was the good animals. It was great meat at a very low cost because it had already been sacrificed and they were just trying to sell off some of it and make a little extra money. And Paul says, if you want to go down there and eat that meat, there's not a problem. If you think there's a problem because it was offered to a God, then don't eat that meat. But he then added one very important thing. He goes, if you're going to have dinner with somebody who has a problem with it, don't tell them that that meat came from that temple. Don't cause them to have to make a decision of sinning or not sinning. And this is where it becomes very important for us. Are we doing things that are going to cause people to judge and cause problems? If so, then there is a very high standard that we need to look and say, I am not going to draw somebody into sin because of my ability to do this. And this can go both ways. You can have the person who's been walking with God for a long time and says, I have no problem with that. And somebody who's a brand new Christian, what do they do? They judge the person who's been a long Christian. I don't understand how they can do such and like that. And the older Christian is looking at that person, I go, well, when you grow up, you'll be able to think like I am, so I'm judging you. We cannot be judging each other on that. You know, and I understand that. I, there's lots of things, many of which I don't want to do, but there's lots of things I don't do because I'm a pastor and I don't want to draw people into the possibility of thinking, well, pastor can do that. It must be okay. You know, and I'd never do this, but let's say I went out to the restaurant and I had a glass of wine with dinner. And I have no interest in doing that, but just, just say it for, for the sake. And somebody comes out, you know, goes to the same restaurant and goes, wow, pastor drinks it with dinner. It must be okay. And they have a problem with drinking. You know, we want to be very careful about the standard we set for people. And, you know, because we are people that are going to be, be responsible. Now, again, it doesn't mean that what I did was wrong. What they did was, would have been wrong if they have a problem with it. But I don't want to be if somebody that's going to cause a stumbling block. But at the same time, we have to be very careful. I've told everybody I want to be very careful about what I teach, but I want you guys to also understand you have a responsibility. Just because if I, if I ever teach anything wrong and you run with it, I'm guilty. I taught it. But you're also guilty for not checking out the facts. I want everybody in this church to be good Bereans. Paul praised the Bereans. He says, you check the scriptures to be sure that what I taught was right. I want everybody in our church to be good Bereans. Get into the scriptures. Know what you believe, why you believe it. I don't want a bunch of robots believing everything that I teach. 
Now I have 50 years of, of, of study and I'm, and I'm pretty sure that what I teach is correct, but you know what? I still don't want people believing it just because I believe it. You need to know what you believe, why you believe it. Because I can tell you why I believe what I believe. And pretty much that's what I have done with this Sabbath day. I've given you what the law says. If you want to bind yourself under the law, be my guest. Bind yourself under the law. If you want to live under grace, know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But also understand that we have such a high standard that we're not to draw people into sin in our process. And we want to be very careful. If somebody's going after you and saying, you've got to keep the Sabbath, you've got to keep the Sabbath. If you're not keeping the Sabbath, you're wrong. Smile at them and just let them believe what they want to believe. I have several people in this town <laughs> that are real strong Sabbath keepers. But you know what the problem with Sabbath is? And I can understand, I, you know, I would not have a problem keeping the Sabbath. The only problem is everybody that I see that keeps the Sabbath gets so legalistic that everything else becomes a problem. And I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there because there's so much other law. Because where do you draw the line? Once you start saying one law is important, where do you draw the line and say, okay, you know, we've got a problem here. Because you know, now, now you're going to have to go... I'm going to have to keep all three, 613 laws. I don't want to live that way. You know, I, don't, I went to a friend's house one time. There was an you know, Orthodox Jew. And all their cabinets in their house were opened. All the doors in the house were open. All the lights were on in the house. I kind of, I kind of thought, wouldn't it be funny if right before sunset I ran, ran around closing all the, all the doors and turning off all the lights? You know, that's the sin nature in me. I, you know, I had this terrible sense of humor. Uh, you know, but you know, that is how strict you're going to have to get. If you want to follow the law, you have to follow the law. All 39 aspects of the, of the law of the Sabbath, if you want to keep the, keep the law of the Sabbath. You know, be aware that there's a higher cost. Sin always demands a high cost, so therefore there are laws against those sins that try to stop all the demands of the law. So you want to be able to look, am I going to be bound by grace? And even the high level of setting a right example, or am I going to be bound under the law? Jesus was telling the people, he goes, my people that are following me are not bound by the law because I am Lord of the Sabbath. And Sabbath was created for man, not man to be locked up by the law of Sabbath. And this is important to us. Are we going to walk in freedom? Not in the, the idea of going out and sinning, because that's what Paul said, you know, God forbid that you go out and sin, but we're not bound up. We are free. We are the children of the king. We are the ones that are above all of that. Not to go out and sin, but just to be able to walk with him. Hopefully this helps when you deal with those with Sabbath <laughs> that are real strong on the Sabbath. Uh, if you want to be bound by the Sabbath, I'm not going to say you're wrong. It's between you and God. If you don't want to be bound by the Sabbath, it's between you and God. And this is the thing, we've really got to get to the place. My job, even as a pastor, is not to judge everybody else and say, well, you guys are doing things wrong. Because first I have to look at myself, and I'm doing lots of things wrong, so I can't be judging anybody else in the first place. But we stand or fall before our God. You know, and this has been true, you know, and, it's, and I've said this many times. You can't, I can't tell you how many times somebody will ask me, can I do such and such? Well, the first rule that I know is if you're asking me, you're already struggling with whether it's right or wrong. So the answer is no, you can't. 
no matter what the Bible says, if you're asking me if you can do something, my answer is going to be no, you can't, because you're already struggling with whether it's right or wrong. All right? Uh, because we can do anything that we have perfect liberty to do. If I have absolutely no problem with doing something, then God is not convicting me. Now, next week, I may have God convicted me that I can't do something. I've been walking with him for a long time. There are things that I can't to do today that I used to be able to do a couple decades ago. Because God put a verse in front of me and said, you can't do this anymore. Now, all of a sudden, I hit that question mark, can I do this? And as soon as, and I learned a long time ago, because I learned it from another pastor, as soon as you question whether, you can, whether you're allowed to do something or not, you better stop doing it because God is convicting you and you need to stop. So if you ever have something where you're being convicted that you're not supposed to do it, you don't have to find a verse that says you shall not stop doing it. Because <laughs> God's Spirit is working on you in that area. Now, he'll show you the verses and everything. He'll tell you all of it. But as soon as you can't, in perfect liberty, do something, and you're questioning whether it's allowed or not, stop doing it. Because at that point, you are living in sin because God is trying to get hold of your attention. By the same token, don't be judging somebody who can do something you can't do. Because God hasn't worked on them yet. You know, if I had met my, if who I am today met my 20-year-old, you know, my, myself 20, 30 years ago, I'm going, why are you doing all that stuff? God's going to tell you you can't do it. And I would go, you quit judging me. <laughs> quit judging me. I have no problem with that. But once God steps on your toes and says you cannot, you know, he starts putting it in your heart that it is wrong, take it out of your life. Take it out of your life because it's going to cause nothing but a big fight between you and God. And I'll give you a secret. God never loses the fight. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried in my lifetime and he doesn't lose the fight. Matter of fact, he just intensifies the fight until we finally give up. And you'll just argue and fight with him and, and battle with him. But just like Jacob did when he wrestled the angel, he lost in the long run because the angel touched the, the hollow of his thigh and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life with a dislocated hip. He wrestled. He had a blessing, but he wrestled, but he lost. And he walked in pain for the rest of his life. Every time we fight with God, God's going to win, and we will pay the consequences for fighting. Sometimes those consequences might be very long and, and hard. Sometimes those consequences might not be as bad, but he will win. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you to teach us more about how to live for you. Lord, teach us not to be judging of others that have freedoms that we don't have and to not think that we're better than them because we have been more sanctified in some area of our life. But help us always to have loving kindness one to another and help us in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says... The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, 
But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.